We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast. With your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we're talking about the Green Bay Packers. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, where he is a beat writer for the Packers. In this episode, he talks with us about quarterback Aaron Rodgers' contract situation, the Jordy Nelson-less restructured pass-catching unit, and how the backfield work might break down in 2018. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show, Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette and PackersNews.com. You can follow him on Twitter at ByRyanWood, where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, hey, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. Absolutely, no problem. How are you doing today? 
Uh, I'm good. It's uh, so as we're recording this, uh, baseball is about to start. I think we're maybe around an hour away, uh, maybe a couple hours away from uh, the, the first game of the season. So it's a pretty good time of year. Yeah, I'm actually wearing my Yoenis Cespedes jersey right now. Uh, let's go Mets! Uh, yeah, it's always always an exciting time of the year, and then you know May happens, and uh, all the players on, on my favorite team are are injured. So uh, no, it's 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 fun. Uh, obviously, baseball season also means that the uh, the NFL draft is uh the pre-draft process is full underway and and that's a very exciting time in the nfl as well yeah definitely and uh you know some some exciting things happening in green bay um you know a, a new general manager there and uh so uh, a lot of movement or much more movement than we normally see out of the packers at this time of year but let's start by uh by talking about aaron Rodgers. Uh, so he signed through 2019, but it looks as if the Packers are wanting to extend him. And he wrote a, a piece uh, recently about the Kirk Cousins contract and how that might impact how Aaron Rodgers' deal is structured. Uh, <clears throat> sorry about that. When do you think uh, we can expect to see uh, the extension finalized? And, and what do you think the structure of this contract is going to be? Well, I think from from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, it'll probably be as late in the offseason as possible. There's really no incentive for him to get the deal done early. For one, obviously, he's got two more years left on the contract. But two, with the way that the salary cap continues to escalate, the way that we consider to see the ball push forward on these QB deals, almost as soon as he signs a contract, it's in risk of becoming outdated uh, from the very moment before the, the ink is even dry. Uh, so I, I would expect it to be somewhat late, may, maybe May uh, or, uh, or, or even June of, of the off season. Um, but it, it is something the Packers have prioritized uh, to get done this off season. Brian Gutekunst publicly has been very clear that that's a priority. Uh, I expect that Aaron Rodgers' camp will, will also uh, be, be willing to, to get something done. I, I think you're looking at thirty million dollars average annually as the floor uh and that's that's what was once a, a a figure that was thought to be unheard of but uh with, with the way look if, if jimmy garoppolo who has seven career starts if, if he's worth 27 and a half million annually uh aaron Rodgers is worth a good bit more so uh certainly it's it's going to be a a deal that gets a lot of attention i think around the league and it's certainly from the nflpa and and and, and players as far as not only the money involved, but the structure. Uh, Kirk Cousins was an unprecedented deal. A, a, a quarterback, a, a franchise quarterback signing a, a, a contract that's fully guaranteed. It, it was something that, that set a new mark in, in the league. And I think a lot of players are going to be looking, and agents are going to be looking at this Aaron Rodgers deal in the structure, whether it's percentage of money that's tied to the cap uh, each year, whether it's uh, if there's a hundred million dollars guaranteed, which has never happened before in a contract, um, I think a lot of a lot of the people associated with the NFLPA is going to be looking at that contract to see if that also further sets a bar in terms of what what the market is for star players. All right. Well, the uh, the the Packers, when you traditionally think about them, at least for the you know the the Aaron Rodgers era, you've thought about him with those wide receivers, uh, or at least his pass catchers. And uh, there's some substantial differences there. Uh, Jordy Nelson is no longer with the team. Devontae Adams has been given a four-year, fifty-eight million dollar contract. Uh, Jimmy Graham is now with the team. Uh, how do you see this pass catching unit shaking out this season? Potentially good. Uh, there's more work to do there. You know, they, they basically had an even swap, Jordy Nelson out for Jimmy Graham in, 
And it's it's very similar. You know, Jimmy Graham's a tight end and Jordan Nelson's a receiver, but they're awfully similar players. You know, Jimmy Graham doesn't block with a lick, so he, he's not going to line up in line very much. He's going to be uh, a pass-catching tight end that, that is in the slot or even split wide. Um, I, I do think that, that the Packers are going to ha- currently have a void to fill as far as a number two perimeter receiver that lines up opposite their number one, Devontae Adams. Uh, but if they can fill that, what, what, most likely through the draft, I, I think that's become a draft need. Um, you're looking at a potentially very good receiving core. You know, Randall Cobb is still there. The Packers love Randall Cobb. He has not been productive up to the the, the, the uh, four-year, $40 million contract that he signed after the 14 season. His numbers haven't matched that. But they love, one, his toughness and the example he sets in the locker room, but two, the creativity that they can use within Mike McCarthy's scheme. He lines up in the slot primarily, but he'll be in the backfield. He kind of moves all over. They they like the the creativity, the flexibility that he gives. Uh, And then Devontae Adams is is a a legit number one receiver, and if you have one of those – uh, you're ahead of a lot of the league. So um, you, you add Jimmy Graham into, into the fold there, and, and certainly I think Ty Montgomery is another guy that it'll be interesting how much he plays split wide at receiver and how much he's in the backfield. I think you want to see him play receiver more than he did last year when he was mostly a running back. Um, it, it's, a, it's got the makings of, of a good receiving group. And, and the biggest reason, too, is when you have Aaron Rodgers throwing the passes, that, that elevates the group as a whole. Any thoughts on uh, Jordan Matthews? I know that he visited recently. And then other guys there, Geronimo Allison, uh, D'Angelo Yancey, uh, thoughts on uh, on their ability to contribute to the unit? Yeah, uh, Jordan Jordan Matthews visited. Uh, there's It's been quiet uh, since, since his visit. Uh, he would potentially be a very good number two receiver, as we talked about. He would fill that void um, and, and be a guy that, you know, he lines up in the slot, but the Packers line up all their receivers in the slot from time to time. Uh, but he, he can also, he's big enough and long enough to give you a uh, consistent presence on, on the perimeter. And that's what they're looking for. Uh, so yeah, you know, that, I think he would, he would be a really nice signing if they were to get that done. Uh, don't know where things stand after, after his visit. Um, and yeah, they, they do have so, some young guys, you know, you mentioned uh, D'Angelo Yancey. He's a guy that they, they stashed away as a rookie last year on their practice squad to see, you know, what, what he could do. He'll have an opportunity this offseason, the, the, the show that uh, shows development. Uh, I think if the season started tomorrow, if they were to play a game tomorrow, Geronimo Allison might be a starter. You know, he, he might be the, the, the top number two perimeter option. Uh, and he's a guy that, when he stayed healthy, he has shown a rapport with Aaron Rodgers, which is most important in Green Bay. If you're going to be a receiver here, you have to have the quarterback's trust. He's shown that he has that. And, and he's been productive as, as a former undrafted receiver. Uh, so, you know, there, there, there's some promise there. I still think they, they, they would want someone who's more proven, someone along the lines of a Jordan Matthews, uh, or to, to go through the draft and, and, and invest in a, an early-round pick there. Uh, but either way, uh, I, I, I think that they, they've got some avenues that they can fill that. At the risk of turning this into a uh, totally self-indulgent and irrelevant show, uh, I have to ask you a question about Jeff Janice. <laughs> I mean, because he's he's no longer with the team, uh, never really developed into, uh, you know, I think uh, the player maybe that the team hoped he could have turned into. Do you have any sense of what happened in his time at Green Bay? Yeah, you know, it's a big jump to go from Saginaw Valley State to the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, you, Division Two football to the NFC North is it, it's a it's a steep learning curve, and it was something that 
as a receiver, Jeff Janis never fully got. Now, I would kind of still be surprised if he wasn't re-signed this offseason. Uh, I would be surprised if if Jeff Janis, uh, just, just because he's not a receiver, his value to a 53-man roster is not as a wideout, but he is one of their top special team performers. Um, and it'll be interesting what kind of monetary value they place on that. Uh, but the, 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 the coaching staff and, and you know, Ron Zook, the special teams coordinator, they, they like Jeff Janis a lot, what he brings as a gunner. Um, he, he did lose his, his return job to Trevor Davis last year, but uh, he's, he's been one of their top coverage guys uh, in, in all special teams units. So because of that, I, I would expect him to be back. Um, but it's it's not as a receiver. You know, receiver might be what he's listed under on the roster and, and what you see next to his name. But his role on the 53 from here on out is going to be a special team. He reminds me a lot of former Packers cornerback, in quotes, uh, Jarrett Bush, who never really played much cornerback but had a long NFL career here in Green Bay as a special teams ace. And that's kind of what Jeff Janis is on the other side of the ball. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that the uh, the team could potentially look to address the wide receiver position in the draft. And uh, the, the historically, the, the team has had some pretty great success uh, acquiring wide receivers in the second and the third round and having those guys turn into uh, substantial contributors to the team. Uh, I'm curious, uh, and, and I'm not sure uh, in terms of how much you, you really uh, follow prospects, but uh, are there any wide receivers that you've you've seen uh, through the, the, the prospecting process that you think could really stand out with the Packers or a guy who just looks like the type of wide receiver the Packers would want? Yeah, you know, I haven't looked at that closely yet. You know, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned their success drafting receivers, how a, a front office and a, and a scout team can – can have so much success at some positions and not at others. You know, this is a Packers franchise that historically here has been very good at drafting receivers, and they, I think the biggest reason probably is because for 25 years they've had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and that helps the receiver, especially a, a young receiver, an awfully lot. And, and at the same time, they they can't draft cornerbacks with a lick. I mean, you know, look, look at the top of the 2015 draft. That's completely imploded in their face. So, uh, you know, they, they have hits and misses, but historically the Packers – have been very good at drafting receivers. Uh, I, I, as far as prospects, I don't know. I don't think that a Calvin Ridley would be much in play at 14 when they when they go on the clock in the first round. Um, I think it would be more around the, the third or fourth round. They've got a couple fourth round picks that you know you might be able to see see them there. I think the top of their draft in the first, uh, certainly the first two rounds, maybe the first three, is going to be devoted to defense, which you've seen from this organization the past several years. Um, but there are some offensive holes, especially a receiver that they want to have to fill by the mid rounds. Uh, you, you mentioned there the inability to uh, to really address the defensive backfield. Let's uh, let's talk about the, the secondary there. So Sam Shields is now a member of the Rams. Morgan Burnett is a Steeler. Uh, the team traded away Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I mean, are you imagining that cornerback, maybe even safety, is where the team would look uh, with its first pick? Yeah, it's a huge need, and I think that more than edge rusher, that there's a good chance that, that the talent is probably going to be more of a value at 14 uh, with the secondary. It's a good secondary group this year, um, and you know, I, I I think the Packers, if if he were to fall, and he probably would, or they'd have to go trade up for him. And they at, with 12 draft picks, the Packers do have the most draft picks in the league this spring, and, and that could potentially be an avenue for them 
to trade up in the draft in the first round. Uh, but if, if he were to fall or somehow be available, I think the Packers would have a lot of interest in Florida State safety Derwin James. He had a formal interview with the Packers at the Combine. They talked a lot about him playing slot corner, which they traded their slot corner, Demarius Randall, to the Cleveland Browns. So there's a huge hole there at, at slot corner. That's a very important uh, position in in their defense historically with Dom Capers. And, and really any any nickel needs a strong slot corner. There's so much that, that the slot is – is involved with not just uh, when it comes to uh, you know obviously coverage, but e- even rushing and blitzing the the, the quarterback and, and run support. And the, Derwin James said at the combine that he talked with the Packers about what he could provide uh, as as a blitzer, uh, and, and that's uh, you know the kind of the Charles Woodson role when they went to the Super Bowl last. Uh, so I, I think that the Packers would have a lot of interest in him. Brian Gutekunst uh, was at the Florida State Pro Day. If a Denzel Ward fell somehow. Uh, which is very unlikely, or they were to trade up. Um, I think that they would have a lot of interest in, and obviously the top cover man in the draft as well. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting. If all the DBs are taken off the, the, the board, then I think uh, all the top DBs are taken off the board, then, then perhaps they, they, they do look at Ed Rusher at a, a Marcus Davenport out of Texas San Antonio or Harold Landry out of Boston College. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that probably right now it, it, it's it's a long way to go, but uh, their preference in, in terms of lining up value and need would probably be at, at, in the secondary. You know, uh, one guy who potentially could help the team, uh, you know, at the front of the defensive line is Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, who's reuniting with uh, his former Jets uh, defensive coordinator, uh, coordinator and, and uh, Mike Pettin. Um, any thoughts on how he could be incorporated into the defense and, and what the, the, the front seven looks like right now? Well, that defensive line looks as good as there is in the league when you have Muhammad Wilkerson added to Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, who were the the two most talented players on the Packers defense last year. Everyone talks about Clay Matthews, and and he's still one of their better players. But Kenny Clark took a huge leap last year in his second season, and uh, really uh, he was at a borderline Pro Bowl level, and and Mike Daniels did crack through as a Pro Bowl alternate for the first time. So uh, you're looking at potentially the three best players that they have on that defense all being interior rushers, um, which is awful. You know, the, nothing bothers a quarterback more than, than getting consistent interior pressure. Uh, with, with the rotation that they've been able to have, you know, Dean Lowry's another guy who is maybe not of the same ilk of, of the other three, but is a really sturdy, consistent defensive lineman uh, coming into his third season. Um, yeah, they, they've got a really good rotation set up there. And the nickel, they only have two down linemen, so... If you got four deep at least, uh, you're always going to have fresh legs. I, I think it'd be interesting to see if they're able to. Mike Pettin is able to incorporate some some packages, uh, some unique sets with three interior linemen all on the same field that that maybe looks a little different than the 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 nickel uh, formation or, or sorry the base three four. It'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of create, creatively maximizing what they have. Uh, with that said, they're still really depleted on the outside. I mean, they, they, they've really got to add depth there uh, at the edge. Clay Matthews and Nick Perry are solid players. Neither are superstars. And behind them, they, they really have nothing. Um, so, this, this, it, you know, uh, an interior rush is, is nice. But if you don't have the, the edge rush to match, it, it really only goes so far. Uh, so it, it seems as if the team pretty much uh, goes as Aaron Rodgers goes and for – 
a lot of the season last year, he was injured, uh, and now Deshaun Kaiser is there ostensibly as uh, you know maybe the new backup behind him, although Brett Hundley is still there. Uh, what do you think happens with those two guys behind Aaron Rodgers? Uh, who, who is the backup? Are they going to battle it out in training camp? Well, uh, you know, the, the Packers made the trade for a reason. I, I would say at this point they, they would like Deshaun Kaiser to – to win the job, uh, but he's got to go out and win it. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what an 0-6 season does to his psyche. Uh, that's not an easy situation for any quarterback, especially a quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser who probably left school a little earlier than he should have. He only had two seasons at Notre Dame. Could have really benefited from having a third and was thrown to the wolves in, in the, the, the most intense way possible that the league can, you know, being a starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, especially with the supporting cast or lack thereof that he had last year. Uh, It's a a situation that could damage a a young quarterback. Now, I spoke with his college quarterback coach, uh, Mike Sanford, and who's now at Western Kentucky, and he said that he doesn't expect Deshaun Kaiser to to be damaged from that just because of his his makeup. He's he's a really smart guy and uh, a a guy who obviously has the athletic ability. Uh, He's just got to develop. So it would be interesting. You know, on the other hand, he is incentive. He he he's he he's someone that that forces Brett Hundley to get better or lose his job, and that's where Brett Hundley is. He was uh, did not perform to a satisfactory level last year. Mike McCarthy has said that he was unprepared for the role that he was given, which was especially disappointing because it was his third season with the Packers. He had two full years with the system in place to to be prepared for that moment, and he wasn't. So. You know, uh, one of the things that Brian Gutekind first said when he was hired was he's he's committed to creating competition on the roster, that there were young guys last year that did not make the most of their opportunities, and this was a very aggressive move to ensure that there is quarterback competition this offseason. Looking at the offensive line, uh, David Bakhtiari, clearly a very good player, uh, thoughts on the rest of the offensive line and uh, if that's a, a, a position where the, the team might be looking to improve through the draft. You know, two years ago, the, the left side of the offensive line looked like it might be the weak link. You know, the right side had TJ Lang, who was a Pro Bowl caliber right guard, had Brian Belaga, which was a, uh, uh, one of the better right tackles in the NFL. And the left side had just lost Josh Sitton, who was an all-pro left guard, and, and that was a real question mark. Now the offensive line and its makeup is completely inverse. You know, David Bakhtiari is perhaps, he's among the best left tackles of the NFL. He, he is, for two straight years now, second-team all-pro, uh, so he, he's an elite left tackle. And next to him is, is Lane Taylor, who replaced Josh Sitton and didn't really miss a beat. Now, he's not the player Josh Sitton was. He's not an all-pro. But he's a very solid starter, and that left side of the offensive line is clearly the strength of the offensive line, and now the right side is a huge question mark. You know, uh, Jari Evans, who was really a stopgap last year, uh, the former New Orleans State All-Pro, who uh, by his own admission was not the same player that he had been in his prime. He was 34 years old last year, and, uh, was still a good starter. He, he was He was solid, but uh, at the end of the year, talked about perhaps retiring. There's no, been no more news there, and, and certainly Jari Evans not being a priority free agent has got some time to make that decision. But uh, if he does retire, you're looking at the right guard spot being open for competition and right tackle with Brian Blanc coming off that, that eight-point ACL, the second in his career, now one in both knees. Uh, his future is obviously very much in doubt. 
So what they do there at, at, at the right side of their offensive line is going to be interesting. Justin McCray is a guy that could maybe uh, step in and, and be a starting right guard, although he's most likely, according to some scouts I, I've spoken with, better suited to be kind of that jack-of-all-trades backup, a guy that can uh, play when needed but not every week in and week out. Um, I think they, they, they've got to, at the very least, draft a, a right tackle uh, so that they're prepared for the possibility that Brian Belaga can't return to be the player that he was after tearing an ACL on both knees. Um, what does help them is that they did lock up center uh, Corey Lindsley long-term. He's going to be a, a kind of an anchor in the interior of their offensive line, um, along with uh, David Bocciari is going to be one of the leaders going forward of that offensive line. Uh, but that, that right side is, is a real question mark, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Brian Gutekunst goes about filling and addressing those needs. All right, this has been a lot of fun. One last question here. Looking at that backfield, uh, two rookies who uh, are, are fairly intriguing there. How do you think that shakes out uh, between Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know. It's going to be really interesting because Aaron Jones is more the big playback. Uh, he's got a spark to him. When, we, when he's in the hole, he hits it hard and he gets to the second level and he can outrun the secondary. Uh, he, he had a couple big runs last year that uh, were really impressive. Uh, and then on the other hand, you got Jamal Williams, who's, you know, kind of the hammer of Thor, you know, he, he's, he just, he three yards in a cloud of dust between the tackles. He's not going to break off big runs. Uh, had only a couple runs of 10 yards last year, but he, he really wears on a defense and, and you saw him do that time and time again. He was better in the fourth quarter than the first. He had a couple hundred yard games, and he's the better receiver than Aaron Jones right now too, which is kind of odd. You don't necessarily expect the power back to be the better receiver than the big play back, but that's kind of where they're at. So I, I think that it, it, you know most likely you know, Mike McCarthy's always been kind of a two running back guy. When he had James Starks and Eddie Lacy's years, he, Eddie Lacy was the featured back, but James Starks still got a lot of carries. Um, I, I think that that would be most likely how he continues to, to run his offense uh, with those two backs complementing each other. Uh, the bigger question maybe is what happened to Ty Montgomery. A year ago, Ty Montgomery's the starting running back, and now he's definitely lost in the shuffle to behind you know Jamal Williams and, and Aaron Jones. Uh, Devontae Mays is another guy they drafted last year in the seventh round. They like him a lot. He got in the doghouse last year against the Baltimore Ravens, fumbling twice in his very first you know carry and his first action. Uh, but you know he, he going into this second year, he he, he could still. Uh, provide something to that backfield rotation as well. But it, it, you know, a year ago, this this running back rotation was was depleted. They had Ty Montgomery and very little else. There's a big question mark going into the draft. Now it's the opposite. You know, that, that's that's one of the strengths of their team. The, the matter is is figuring out how to best use all the pieces they do have, and that'll be very interesting to watch unfold. All right, Ryan, this was fantastic. Thanks for all of your insight, and we hope to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. Absolutely. Take care. We just finished speaking with Ryan Wood, a Packers beat writer for the Green Bay Press-Gazette. We covered a lot. Here are some of the general thoughts I have on our conversation. We started by talking about quarterback Aaron Rodgers and his contract situation uh, just looking at it, he is still under contract for two seasons. Um, if we're thinking about what is the the possibility for his contract situation, we saw Kirk Cousins just get a ton of money, all guaranteed. I think that puts Rodgers in the $30 million 
fully guaranteed uh, type of range of outcomes. Um, you know, I, and I don't know exactly if he will be shooting for more money or like what will be the priority to have a fully guaranteed contract or to have more money but not guaranteed. Um, I think guaranteed might be more important uh, given that the precedent has been set with Kirk Cousins and uh, given that you know Rodgers is one of the few guys in the league who really could have the leverage to push for a guaranteed contract and uh, it's important I think you know for the the players in the league that it's not just one guy who does it that like someone does it after Cousins and that it becomes something that is much more common and more of a staple for the the quarterbacks. And then from that position, it starts to branch out into the other positions. And then eventually it's just something that's fairly standard across the sport. Um, but either way, whether it's fully guaranteed and around 30 million or it's 35 million, maybe more than that and not fully guaranteed Rogers at some point is going to get his contract. And it's hard to imagine a player who is more central to his team than Rodgers is to the Packers. So he's been the starter at this point for a decade, since 2008. Uh, And since that time, he has missed about half of two separate seasons, 2013 and 2017. And if you look at 2013, I mean, just either of those years, uh, it wasn't good when Rodgers was out. You look at 2013. He was his normal Aaron Rodgers self. He went six and three, uh, but for the season the team went eight and seven. Matt Flynn started four games. He was two and two. Scott Tolzien was zero and one. And Seneca Wallace. I mean, it's d- dark days when Seneca Wallace is starting a game for you. Seneca Wallace was zero and one. So the team without Rodgers was two and four, like pretty clearly a sub five hundred team. And then if you look at last season, the other season in which Rodgers has missed about half of the year, uh, Rodgers played seven games. He was four and three. And uh, it, it, it's worth remembering that uh, two of those games, one was near the end of the season when he was trying to return and he just wasn't the same. And then one of those games was a game, uh, the game in which he was injured and he missed almost the entirety of that contest. So, you know, seven seven starts, but really only five starts that are kind of representative. Um, Without him, you know, Brett Hundley was the guy starting. Hundley went three and six, completed 60% of his passes. Frankly, he was lucky to complete that many passes. And these weren't, uh, these weren't, you know, like high leverage passes. These were, you know, short completions through nine touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Basically without Aaron Rodgers. This is a team, the Packers, that over the last decade has lost two games for every one game it has won. That's really bad. Uh, when he's healthy, the Packers are a playoff team. right? That team regularly gets to at least the divisional round, often the conference championships. When Rodgers is healthy, the Packers are one of the top four teams in the NFC. Probably one of the top three or two teams. right? They are perennial contenders. When he's not healthy, they are one of the worst teams in the league. And what that means is that they obviously, I mean, first step, they need to ensure they keep him under contract. But more importantly, they need to get better quarterbacks behind him. 
right? Deshaun Kaiser, Brett Hundley, those guys are not going to get it done. They're basically just more of the same. Um, and they might need to rethink their scheme. They might need to rethink their coaching staff. Mike McCarthy has had success, but it's a stretch to think that he would be as successful without Rodgers. We've seen him be woefully unsuccessful without Rodgers. And then also, Rodgers is old. He's going to be 35 this year. So there's also this question about how how much can they commit to him? Like how much money can they commit to him? <laughs> in terms of guaranteed money, how much can they commit to him? In terms of years, how long can they commit to him? They need a backup plan. Brett Favre was 36 in Rodgers' rookie season. Rodgers turns 35 this year, right? It's within the realm of possibility that we are getting near the point where the Packers invest actual draft capital into a quarterback, like future of the franchise type of draft capital in a quarterback, maybe second round, third round, like, you know, where the, where the Patriots drafted Jimmy Garoppolo four years ago when... When Tom Brady was just about the age that Aaron Rodgers is now, you know, a little bit older, but we are getting near that point where the Packers really could start to look for a quarterback who is more than just a fourth or a fifth round, sixth round pick that they get. And maybe that guy turns into a long-term backup, maybe not, but they might look to the draft for a quarterback. Um, I think there's a question though. I mean, Rodgers, obviously, this team is much better with him than without him. In terms of what a guy means to his team, I think Aaron Rodgers is basically the MVP every year. Um, but there is a question, I think. Uh, how will Rodgers do without Jordy Nelson? And it might sound <laughs> it might sound weird to ask that question, given that Jordy Nelson last year looked like a shell of himself. In 2016, he had 1,250 receiving yards, led the league with 14 touchdowns, and then 2017 just fell off a cliff. 482 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, that is horrible. At the same time, even if you think that Nelson has slowed down, and he did last year, he still has such dynamic, I don't know, synchronicity with Rodgers, like mind-melding with Rodgers, that Rodgers might suffer without Nelson. It, it might not be representative to look back all the way to 2011 when Nelson first broke out, but over that time, since 2011, Rodgers has, it's not as if he's been bad without Nelson, but he hasn't been nearly as good, right? With Nelson, he had 27.9, actually 28, we'll call it 28 fantasy points per game. Without Rodgers, sorry, with Rodgers without Nelson had 24 standard fantasy points per game. And here's the thing. He actually attempted almost two more passes per game without Nelson. So he had more opportunity without Nelson. He was, you know, he had more, more opportunity to accumulate points, but he didn't complete as many passes, right? He was, he was throwing fewer passes, almost two fewer passes per game but completing about half a pass more per game with uh, with Nelson in the lineup. Throwing about the same number of interceptions, right, but completing fewer passes. And the big thing is not, not getting as many yards 
right? 278.6 yards with Nelson, 246.1 yards without Nelson, right? And, and you can, by the way, you can look this up for yourself on the roadofis.com game splits app, right? One of, one of the best tools in the industry. Um, the big difference for Rodgers with Nelson and without Nelson, he wasn't pushing the ball as far down the field. So, you know, 278 yards versus 246 yards. And then the big thing, he wasn't getting as many touchdowns. Two and a half touchdowns per game with Nelson. 1.95 touchdowns per game without Nelson. Right? That is significant. And it, it makes sense because Nelson, well, just, just to stick with Rodgers for a second, Rodgers has never been a big yardage accumulator. He is a touchdown guy. Right? His, his ratio of touchdowns to yards is high in comparison to what you normally see across the league. But it, it's been consistently high for his career. It's just kind of who he is. He doesn't have to get a lot of yards, but the team is very comfortable with him throwing in the red zone. So he gets a lot of touchdowns. And that's where Nelson has really helped him. You know, Nelson was still good in the red zone over the last few years with Rodgers. Like, legitimately good. Nelson missed the 2015 season with the ACL tear. In 2014, he had 13 touchdowns. In 2016, I mean, I mentioned this, but I'll mention it again, led the league with 14 touchdowns. In 2017, he had, you know, only six touchdowns, quote unquote, only six touchdowns. But like all of those were with Rodgers. And so you can look at the game splits app and you can see, Jordy Nelson, over the last two years, right, after coming back from the ACL tear as a guy who was in his 30s, in his 22 games with Aaron Rodgers, he scored .9 touchdowns per game, right? Almost one touchdown per game with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. In the eight full games that he played with someone else, that someone else specifically being Brett Hundley, but someone else as his quarterback, he had no touchdowns, right? So on the one hand, like you can look at this and you can say, well, like Jordy Nelson is done. He's toast. He's a total product of what Aaron Rodgers has done for him. And that might be the case. But on the flip side, you can say when Jordy Nelson has been with Aaron Rodgers, he has given Rodgers something that looks really good. He has given him wide receiver one type of production. Rodgers is a great quarterback, but if you take the wide receiver one away from any quarterback in the league, you should expect him to suffer, right? You are going to take away from Aaron Rodgers, a guy who has scored 0.9 touchdowns per game over the last two years. Jordy Nelson doesn't have to be particularly fast. He doesn't have to be, you know, like a yardage accumulator to do what he needs to do in the red zone to get Rodgers his touchdowns, right? He still could have been, in 2018, a very good receiver for Aaron Rodgers. It's not certain that this unit is going to be able to replace Nelson. I totally admit, and Ryan touched on this, that the addition of Jimmy Graham, he views Jimmy Graham and Jordy Nelson as comparable players at this point. And the way in which they have functioned for their teams over the last two seasons primarily as red zone targets, that is similar. Um, but I still think that Graham is different from Nelson in the way that he might be deployed. 
Um, I don't know if he will have when when plays break down when they have broken down for the Packers and Rodgers starts moving around and then he leaves the pocket. Jordy Nelson has known what to do in that situation when he's running around in the end zone to get open. I don't know if there will be that same that same comfort level for Rodgers with Jimmy Graham. Right? Graham I expect will get a a big chunk of the touchdowns that otherwise would have gone to Nelson. But um some of those touchdowns I think in 2018 will probably turn into field goals because there there won't be the guy there or they might turn into rushing touchdowns for one of the running backs. Um but where is some of the production going to come from? I don't think it's going to come from Geronimo Allison or D'Angelo Yancey. Um, I think the team could look to the draft, right? Or shift Ty Montgomery back to receiver, right? He was drafted as a wide receiver. And I should say, he was drafted as just like the latest in a long line of wide receivers to have tremendous success in the NFL. Um, anytime over the last decade, I mean, even before that, you know, anytime since 2006, when the Packers have drafted a guy with a second or a third round pick, that guy has had, at some point, pretty legitimate NFL success. Greg Jennings in 2006, James Jones in 2007, right? Jennings, a guy with big time production. Jones, uh, you know, up and down production, but at one point he did lead the league one season. He led the league in touchdowns, right? Jordy Nelson, we know that he's had a great career. Randall Cobb has had, you know, ups and downs, but he's had a pretty solid career. Devontae Adams now is the number one wide receiver in that offense coming off of two pretty good back-to-back years. And then Ty Montgomery is, is the most recent guy drafted you know, drafted with the 94th pick in 2015. I think they can move him back to wide receiver and he could get some of that production. You know, or maybe they just go back to the well and maybe in round three, they draft another guy. You know, um, maybe Washington. You know, if you look at the, um, the wide receiver rankings I have at Fantasy Labs, you know, maybe James Washington is a guy who slips to the third round. Maybe Michael Gallup out of Colorado State. I think he he would be very intriguing in that group. Christian Kirk potentially is a guy who could maybe fall to the second round, maybe early third round. Traquan Smith is interesting. Jordan Lastly is someone I could see having success there. You know, or maybe they shift Montgomery back to receiver, but it is possible. It is intriguing to think of the possibility of this team selecting another guy on day 2. Another wide receiver who, you know, maybe he struggles a little bit as a rookie. And these guys have struggled early in their careers, right? Devontae Adams, remember how subpar he was for his first two seasons and people just kind of gave up on him? Randall Cobb barely played at all as a receiver in his rookie season. Jordy Nelson didn't break out till his fourth year. James Jones, like that guy didn't break out till like his fifth year in the league. Sixth year, Right. Um, it's, it's kind of rare for these guys to do well right away, but it is intriguing to think that the Packers could draft one of these guys and he could have four, five, six years with Aaron Rodgers 
and you know maybe early on in his career he does nothing and then you can get him on the cheap in a dynasty league and then you know in year 2 year 3 year 4 at that point he really breaks out that is interesting i kind of hope that happens i would be very interested in any wide receiver that the the packers choose to draft on day 2 of course if they shift montgomery back to receiver um you know who knows what happens there and who knows what happens with the backfield aaron jones um, he's the guy who was very dynamic last year. Uh, Ryan mentioned that Williams was more of a receiver than Jones, but Jones showed a lot of ability to play as a receiver in college. Um, he could be the guy, but Williams was productive in college too. And at a very young age, both of those guys are high workhorse score running backs. Honestly, either one could end up being the guy. Um, I think Aaron Jones showed a little bit more. He's the one that if I had to bet on one of them, I would bet on Jones. I don't think that's like, uh, I think I'm probably being chalky in saying that. Like, I think that's like the, the standard line is that Aaron Jones, out of those two, he he's probably the front runner to be the lead back. Um, I am interested in the team's, and Ryan mentioned this, the team's inability to draft defensive backs. Um, I don't know if it's that they draft defensive backs who aren't good or they draft defensive backs who get exposed in their system. I think it's actually probably a little bit more of the latter. But, uh, you know, once again, they could look to the defensive backfield as a place where they want to uh, to invest some pretty premium draft capital. Um, Ryan mentioned that if for some reason Derwin James fell to pick 14, um, the team would probably draft him. I imagine so. I doubt that uh, that he will fall to pick 14. In the most recent mock draft I have at Fantasy Labs, I have him going number 10 overall to the Raiders. Um, He mentioned Denzel Ward. uh, But then he said, you know, that he doesn't think he's going to fall that far. I actually think he will fall that far. And in that mock draft, I do have the Packers selecting Denzel Ward. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, if you look at some of the the teams picking before them, uh, they don't have, not many of them, have a huge need um, at cornerback and the teams that do. So for instance, you could look at the, um, the Chicago bears, right? They, they have a need at cornerback. They could take one, but at that point it's also possible that they could take someone else. They could take Calvin Ridley. They could take Quentin Nelson. Right. Um, And so out of the teams that need defensive back help, Uh, and kind of are picking within the draft range, not many of them actually really need a cornerback. Uh, And so Denzel Ward could fall. And and it's not as if a guy falling, you know, to the middle of the first round is really like falling. Um, So I think Denzel Ward could be there. Uh, If I had to, and then also like Josh Jackson. Um, But I think out of those two, they might go with Denzel Ward, uh, the more athletic guy. If I had to pick a player, uh, I would go with Denzel Ward. I think that's probably going to be the guy. Um, that defense needs a lot of help, but um, you know it would be exciting at the same time to uh, to see them invest a little bit more around Aaron Rodgers. Um, I don't think it makes sense to take Calvin Ridley in the first round. I don't think he's really a, a first round guy, um, but I I could see Calvin Ridley also being there. Um, but, you know, I, I doubt that they will really 
uh, invest in a skill position player. Um, maybe they go with an offensive tackle, someone who could you know help the running game, help the passing game, help their franchise quarterback a little bit. But uh, maybe they don't do that either. So uh, as Ryan said, it looks like it will be a defense draft um, where with their first three picks, they, they attack that side of the ball. If they do, who knows? Maybe that really will improve the unit. But um, they've invested in that, that side of the ball um, pretty substantially over the years, and uh, it really hasn't done much recently. So we'll see. Uh, in the end, I think, I mean, we, we all know this. Uh, that team goes as Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and so if he's healthy, you know, they'll make it to you know, the divisional round. Uh, conference championships if he's not healthy they would be lucky to make the playoffs so uh, in that sense it almost kind of doesn't really matter what they do with the draft uh, as long as they are able not to draft total lemons Aaron Rodgers should carry them and that's going to do it for this Packers focused special edition of Rotoviz Radio be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz and the podcast feed I'm Matt Friedman Matt of the Oracle thanks for tuning in Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colin Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.